When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of AMA. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm gonna be answering your questions. And by the way, if you ever wanna get a question answered, all you have to do is submit it to connect at impacttheory.com and put AMA question in the subject line. That way, my man Shaz can quickly find you guys. So that's it. All right, and if you wanna remain anonymous, by the way, just put that you wanna remain anonymous and we will make that happen. All right, first question is from Adam Gray. You say that mindset is important and the way you think about yourself and talk to yourself is super important, but what advice do you have with the way you talk or think can mainly be negative. What advice do you have to change from a negative to a positive mindset? What things should you practice and learn? Okay, this really simply breaks down into cognitive behavioral therapy techniques. One of the best examples of that comes from a man named Dr. Daniel Amen, and he has a very simple process that he calls ANTS, automatic negative thoughts. And he says you need to squish the ants. So that's gonna be the first thing that you're gonna wanna do is really start to practice squishing those automatic negative thoughts. You can't allow yourself to loop around things that are negative. You just can't allow it. And so in that, living by that code and saying that I simply do not allow myself to spend time thinking about the negative thoughts, then you're going to get into a place where you just start creating that behavior through repetition, always catching the negative thought, always stopping yourself from thinking it, and being able to do that because you have that code. And I find that having a code, something that you agree in your emotionally sober moments, that is going to be the thing that guides your life, your actions, your beliefs, and your thoughts, is incredibly critical in moments like these. So put that in place, make sure that you practice catching those negative thoughts and stopping them, do that consistently over time, and what you're gonna find is that you can begin to reshape everything into something positive. And that is the second part of this, is that you need to then use that process that you're using to stop the negative thoughts as a habit loop trigger to start thinking positive thoughts. So recognizing that that loop is going to happen in the beginning automatically, and that your job is to practice turning that into something positive. And then that positive talk in the beginning is gonna feel artificial, it's going to feel a little fake, but if you stick with it, you're really going to begin to now loop around positive things. And as always, I highly encourage you to embody the positivity as you get yourself thinking in that. So once you get all of your things moving in the right direction to really solidify them, you want to really embody them, using your hands, using uh, voice modulation, telling people that you're excited, which reinforces in you uh, that positive state of mind. All right. Next up, Vipin Tiagi. How do you detach yourself from the outcome when working towards a goal like building a company or product? I hear a lot about the importance of focusing on the work process so you're not anxious about how it turns out, but it can be hard to go all in when you're not sure about whether something will succeed or not, thanks. Okay, so here's the reality, and I want everyone to really let this sink in. The struggle is guaranteed, the success is not. 
I wish it were another way, but that's the reality. You're going to have to work hard at something. It may not ever pay off. So what you want to focus on isn't so much detaching yourself from the outcome, but instead to be doing something where the outcome is the icing on the top, but the thing that you actually enjoy is the day-to-day -day process. So it's very different to me from doing something that you really hate because you have this fantasy end goal in mind and you're just going to detach yourself from liking that, wanting that, whatever. I think the reality is if you're pursuing something, you're pursuing it precisely because you want it. Now, the shift becomes to pursue something not just because you want the end goal, which you're going to, I think that's a reality, but you're pursuing something that not only are you excited about the end goal, but you're excited in the moment. You actually enjoy the process. So I'll give you an example. When I was building technology back at Awareness Tech, I didn't care about the technology and the outcome was just money. And so the money may never come, that became all too apparent. And the thing that I was doing on a day-to-day -day basis, I did not enjoy. So now I've got an outcome, which may never happen, and a day-to-day -day that sucks. So now when that begins to spin out into years and years and years, because originally I thought it was going to take about 18 months, and the reality is at about six and a half years, I realized, holy hell, I may never actually get what I want out of this, and the day-to-day -day sucks. So that's when I began to realize that you need to do something that in and of itself, you're really excited to do. When you get in that place and you're excited about what you're doing, then even if it doesn't come to fruition, you had a great time all along the way. So this is where really understanding Eckhart Tolle's notion of the power of now, that now is all you have, that your entire life is just a sequence of nows. And so if now sucks all the time, your life sucks. So you really have to be careful and make sure that the now is spent doing things that you enjoy and it isn't just leading towards some future event. Phil Williams. I'm an entrepreneur trying to build an empire. My grandmother is 90, that's amazing, and lives on her own but is blind, very frail, and takes a lot of care. This has a big impact on my mom and is affecting her health in a big way. I have paid for my mom to speak weekly with a psychologist to help her cope with the situation. Do you have any advice for what else I can do to support my family but still look after myself too? All right, this is a brutally difficult situation. This is something that I think all of us living in this society where we're able to keep people alive for a really long time but their health span has declined more rapidly than their lifespan, I think we all have to really plan for this kind of inevitability. I don't think that there's any really easy answer, but let me walk you through my logic. So one, I think it's amazing that you have your mom speaking to a psychologist and that you're putting the money there, and that is probably a very good use of proceeds, but I think it has to be at least looked at as to what would be better. Would it be better just to make sure that you're spending that money so that mom doesn't have to spend as much time there, so that she can be doing things that are fun and playful for her, so that grandmother is getting looked after and then mom is able to spend her time doing, and I'm just gonna list some really random stuff, but I'm really beginning to think that these things matter uh, than certainly I want to think doing something like meditating, forest bathing, going for walks, doing things where one, it's um, 
lowering her time spent in the sympathetic nervous system and getting her into the parasympathetic, but then also just moving and making sure that she's doing something that is both active, uh, but not, you know, doesn't have to be like lacrosse. It can be something where she's just going for walks, ideally in nature. There seems to be some pretty intense correlations between an over um, all sense of well-being in that. And then also the other thing that people really talk about is connection. And so doing things to facilitate your grandmother's connection to other people I think is going to be huge and also will happen to take the burden off of your mom and then making sure that your mom is doing things to stay connected to her own group of friends which will work as another layer of psychological um, immunity from the difficult things that she's obviously going through with her mother by having other people that she can connect to um, that can share some of that burden for her that she can just be around and have a good time but that also understand what she's going through. I think if you do those things, it may be a better use of the um, proceeds than just a psychologist. Again, that's not to say that the psychologist isn't awesome. I'm sure it is. But when I really think about what those things are that are probably most in line with getting us to uh, a sense of well-being, um, having friends that you feel deeply connected to is probably better than the relationship with a psychologist, which can be one way. Um, and then also just getting grandmother connected to people and enjoying things. And so um, that will naturally take up some of her time, which will free up mom to do the other things we talked about. All right. Jaleel Zerdani. As a sensitive, authentic, and kind man, how do you manage not to get walked over or abused in work situations while staying true to yourself? How did you develop strong and healthy boundaries in competitive environments? So this, I love this question, and this all comes down to one thing. Strong convictions loosely held. If you really, truly have a growth mindset, you really, truly are building your identity around being a learner, and you're not getting your sense of self-esteem and ego from being right, and you're focused entirely on just identifying the right answer, I think what you're gonna find is you're gonna build a lot of credibility with people so when you really have a conviction and you stand up for that, that they know, well, if we're able to convince him, he will change his mind. He'll change his mind in real time. But if he believes in something, then he's not afraid to speak up for it. And that's the thing, is really understanding that what's actually gonna happen. If, if you present your idea and you present it with conviction and passion and excitement, hopefully, that you know that you're always willing to be convinced, but if you're not convinced and you continue to say, well, this is where I'm at, um, what's the worst that can happen? So the worst that can happen is you get fired. That's not gonna kill you. It's almost certainly not gonna go to fisticuffs. And if it does, you're in the wrong job anyway. That is not a healthy place to be if people can't disagree in a respectful way. And then also, if you're really trying to get to the truth of the matter, and this is our boy um, Ray Dalio talking about everybody should be coming to this situation trying to figure out what the truth is. And if nobody cares about whether or not they're right, they just care about finding the truth, people are going to feel that from you. The question is, are you actually looking for the truth? And if you're actually looking for the truth, that's gonna come across. And so. I find that this is really a non-issue in my life because one, I really wanna know if I have the right answer or not, so I'm really actually truly to the core of my being interested in what other people have to say and I'm trying to suss it out in my own mind, but I'm never afraid to say, well, this is what I feel and think and because we implement principles here and I implement that, anybody that wants to have a business relationship with me 
they're going to be involved in principles. So, which means I'm going to tell you exactly what I think and feel, not in a harsh way or a cruel way, but I'm going to be honest. And so that um, really makes all of that just do its thing. All right. Dagmara Ava, speaking of Ray Dalio, in his book Principles, Ray Dalio makes a distinction between goal-oriented thinkers versus task-oriented thinkers. In your experience, is it possible to switch and train yourself to become a goal-oriented thinker from the task-oriented one? What steps would need to be taken for that? So I think it's pretty much possible to change your way of thinking from one thing to just about anything, but that doesn't mean that it's ever going to come naturally for you, and you may always have to go through a process of, oh yes, I am a uh, task-oriented thinker, and so my initial thoughts are all going to be around the tasks, so I need to now, as a mechanism, sit myself down essentially and say, okay, how do I switch over into being more goal-oriented? And so one of the things that I think really makes this possible, and this has been super powerful for me, is to keep a list that starts with your goal, you've written it down, you know exactly what you're trying to do and accomplish, and then only once you have that, you make a list of the most important things that you could do to be moving towards that goal. And then everything in your list of tasks has to answer the question, will this meaningfully move me towards my goal or not, yes or no? And you have to break that psychological love affair that you have if you're a task-oriented thinker with to-do lists and checking things off and how good that feels to have an empty inbox or all of that. And everything, everything has to come back to, is this actually moving me towards my goals or not? And having that list, really looking at it, really thinking about it every day, I think that you're gonna find by doing that and forcing the discipline that that takes, that that's naturally going to migrate you over towards a bias in your actions, even if it's never your initial thought, a bias in your actions towards that goal, to always be thinking about whether or not that's taking you there. All right, so that's exactly what I would do. Stefanos Christofferou, I'm gonna guess you're Greek. What is up, Stefanos? For a few years, I have been uh, failing in getting my startup off the ground. It has a lot to do with working with the wrong people or even the fact that I never had enough budget. But my biggest question is why other people succeed with very similar ideas, what I'm missing, why can't I put the right team together? Is it pure luck? How can I ask that question for myself? Answer that question for myself. Okay, so I love that you're asking the question. It is definitely not luck. I think you have to assume that there's absolutely no luck because the reality is, even though we are all awash in luck, the best analogy that I've ever heard, uh, and this is, I think the guy's name was Chi Lu, somebody that was introduced to me um, by Mr. Benayan, who was on our, on Impact Theory. Go watch that episode, by the way. It's absolutely fantastic. And he talks about that. And what Chi said is that luck is like a bus. There's always another one coming. The question is, do you have the fare to get on the bus? And the fare is your skill set. So have you built the right skills to be able to take advantage of the luck? And if you haven't yet, don't worry, there is an avalanche of luck coming your way, but you'll never be able to do anything with it if you're not prepared from a skill set perspective. So you're gonna to wanna to put all of your time and energy into making sure that you're building your skill set up so that you can take advantage of that luck. Now, why are you not able to build a team? So team building really comes down to a couple things. One is, do you have a strong vision? That's important. Can you too? 
articulate that vision to other people? And three, are you able to get people excited about that vision so that they wanna become a part of it? And four, are you actually the right person to lead? Going back to that notion of skill set, you've got to build that skill set up. You've got to be somebody that can actually deliver results. And if you've never done anything in your history to deliver results, and now you're asking people to take it sort of on a wing and a prayer, you're going to want to focus on one thing. You want to make people feel better about themselves when they're around you than when they're not. And if they love being around you and it's making them a better version of themselves and they feel like they're getting better just by being around you, even though you don't have a track record of success, they're gonna wanna be around you. So that is a big thing for anybody who's at the beginning of their journey as a leader to focus on that, to create an environment where other people can thrive and to make them feel good about who they are and their contributions, helping them focus on purpose and meaning instead of just money, those things like giving people a deep sense of well-being is really, really powerful. Adam Turner. I feel like I'm giving myself permission to accept a poorer standard of work from myself than I would like. It comes from a mixture of, I have to put stuff out even if it's not perfect, which is better than not putting anything out at all, and a story I tell myself that it's okay, you can just stay this, you can just say this one is one of the bad ones. I fee, if I feel I'm getting too picky, but it, too picky with it, but it's still not going where I'd like. Where do I draw the line between analysis paralysis, perfectionism, and getting stuff out there so it's out there? Okay, so I think that getting something that's out there is so much more important than overthinking it and all of that as long as, as long as, you're actually improving time after time. That is the big thing. You've gotta make sure that all the stuff that you're putting out there, you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, I know that I need to get better at this. I know that I need to be refining. What was it about this that wasn't as good as it could have been so that each one is stacking on the other? If everything that you put out is just mediocre, then you're in the wrong, you're on the wrong side of this. Then you really need to slow down, get it right, make sure you're learning and improving before you put the next one out. Otherwise, just constantly putting out a wall of crap isn't any good. So what's my goal? Work backwards from there. You know what you're trying to achieve. You definitely need to get things out there and if you're using the getting them out there as a way to learn and grow, I think you'll be shocked at how number two is better than one, three is better than two, four is better than three, so on and so forth forever. But that does require that you ship. And so I'd much rather be answering this question than people who are on the other side, which is that they never do anything. So you're, you've got your finger on the fact that you're accepting a lower standard of work than you could, so now just push yourself to make it better. But the, the highest standard you can hold yourself to is that you're actually putting something out. Anonymous. Given that most people are wrong, the market is a clear example of this, success thus becomes a lonely path. To succeed, you must think and act different than the majority of people. In doing so, you become isolated and this can be dangerous. How do you combat this? How do you find a niche of good supporting friends? How do you cope with the loneliness that comes as a side effect of success? Let me dispel this motherfucking rumor. This is not true. This is not the way of it. This is people who don't know how to invite other people into their world. So I'm telling you right now, if you want to be the only person standing on the mountaintop and that you're driven by ego and you want to be the guy, then it's going to be really lonely. But I literally 
don't agree and don't understand this whole notion of it's lonely at the top. So part of the reason that I made my wife my business partner was I didn't want to be alone. I wanted to have somebody else there. And if it wasn't my wife before that, I had two other partners. So there's always somebody that's excited to work on the thing you're working on. You may have to take the time to go out and find them, but if you're okay sharing the glory and sharing the success, you can invite partners into your world. I am not saying it's easy to find the right partners, but I am saying it is very, very possible. You just have to open yourself up to letting somebody else in to share that glory. And then we can get into the nuances of finding people that compliment you instead of fighting over it. You can define roles and all of that. For instance, my wife and I have a very clear understanding. If we're ever at loggerheads and we've both really listened to the other person, but ultimately we're just not convinced, we will go with my decision every time. That's my role in our dynamic. And I've proven myself over time to be the right person for that role. So that is not a hard thing for her to accept. She also knows that her voice is really heard, listened, respected, and wanted. And it's only in the very rare occasions where we just cannot come to agreement that I'll finally say, okay, we're going to do it this way um, simply because somebody has to have the final vote. Anyway, that's a long way of saying that you can definitely find a partner. Now, to me, another part of this is I spent a lot of years getting to the point to become the CEO. And then when I got to that role and realized I paid a lot of dues, I got kicked in the face a lot of times, called an idiot, told I was stupid, all that stuff on the come up. And so I had a choice to make when I was stepping into the leadership role. Was I going to do the same to other people to make sure that they all paid their dues so that I felt like hey, if I had to do it, you have to do it too? Or was I going to get to the top and give away the vast majority of my power? And the answer was to really get amazing people around you to not feel lonely. I had to create a meritocracy where the best idea wins rather than just my ideas win because I fought for this right and I'm here and um, it's in this case, it's my capital and all of that stuff. But you're not going to keep good people. You are going to feel very lonely. Success is going to be very isolating at that point. Um, And so... The, the final part of this is, like you said, to be successful, you have to bet against the consensus, and I'll add something to that. You have to bet against the consensus and be right, but then the ultimate piece of this is that if you really want to go far, you've got to be able to build a team and get other people excited and make them feel good and make them have a sense of purpose and meaning within the company, which means that you can't just say, go do this because I say so. You've got to invite them in. You've got to make sure that their voices are heard. You've got to create that environment where they want to be there. They want to be around and that you don't have to pretend to have all the answers, that you can just, when you really have a conviction, you give it as a conviction. And when you don't, you say, I really am not sure how we should handle this. And you want other people's ideas and you hire people that are amazing and they make you sweat and they're smart. And so it's, you don't get to rule over a fiefdom, but you very much won't be lonely. And so I highly encourage you to take that second path. I have never, ever had more fun in life than getting a group of people around me that shared my vision because I articulated to them, no question that felt good working here because we've created an environment that is, um, it fosters people to have their own ideas, to speak up, to know that they're um, of equal importance as humans. We have different roles and there's no question that ultimately, um, if we just cannot come to a consensus that we will do my idea, but making sure that people feel really plugged into that purpose, the meaning, the mission of the company, all that, um, and said in one single sentence, I do not feel alone. All right. All right, guys, that's all we have time for. Thank you so much for joining me. By the way, I tried a slightly different um, 
style today and I'd be very interested to hear what you think. I tried to be a lot slower uh, in my speaking. I heard a podcast that I did a while ago and even I thought, God damn, like I was talking fast. Now, it was far more enjoyable for me in the moment to speak fast. There's just something about the that of letting my brain rev up and all that. Um, But I wanna know what's more effective. And ultimately, if I know that it's more effective for me to slow down a little bit, um, then that will be really exciting for me. So um, would love it. Ping me, hit me up, let me know um, if you thought that it was better uh, when I went a little bit slower. So that would be amazing. All right, if you guys haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.